So we're beginning a new series uh, looking at the book of Ruth and my intention is to look at the three main characters. They're all noble characters, Naomi, Ruth and Boaz. But just as an introduction to to the book and before we read anything from it together, we're living in times that see unprecedented levels of mass migration all over the world, displaced peoples moving on a scale that we've not seen for generations. And in Europe in particular, the situation is so difficult for governments to know how to handle. It's become known by the press as the European migrant crisis. People finding themselves caught up in the horrific circumstances of war with the violent oppression and persecution that comes as a consequence and the destructions of people's homes and their very livelihoods and in some cases as well there are natural conditions in countries of drought and famine or just lack of of the general necessities of life that are threatening life so people are on the move and it's thousands of people and they're making perilous journeys and we see this on our news reports and we see horrific images of people who are making journeys and some who have not made it as they have the aspiration to move to more peaceful places and more prosperous places than the places from which uh, they have moved. The UNHCR, which is the UN's uh, refugee agency, figures, they produced some figures at the end of 2014, so they're a little out of date, and there's been an explosion in the numbers of people involved. But just listen to the figures as they analysed the year 2014. This is worldwide. 60 million people forcibly displaced is the terminology that's used the highest number in a year since world war ii (coughs) that's one in every 122 people on the face of the planet is either a refugee is internally displaced which means the place that is their home they can no longer remain there so within their country they have to find somewhere else or there's others then that are seeking asylum because their lives are threatened because of political um, or even religious regime. They're seeking asylum in other countries. 2014, 19.5 million refugees. And 51% of those are under the age of 18. Uh, 38 million internally displaced. And then just under 2 million seeking asylum. But then estimates for 2015 in relation to Europe alone estimates that 1.8 million people moved into the European region in 2015 uh, from places like Syria, Afghanistan, Iraq, Kosovo, Somalia, Sudan, and the list goes on. People making those journeys across the Mediterranean or across the land masses to get to a place that's peaceful and prosperous because they've heard something. And it's such a contrast to the horror of the life that they know. Estimates also say that around 4,000 people last year lost their lives in the capsizing of boats in the Mediterranean and the Aegean seas, or just because of the hardship of the journeys. 4,000 people died, and still it goes on. The Bible book of Ruth, I'm going to turn to it in a moment, is an account of how God knows all about people in every circumstance And especially in this book, people in that situation. It tells us that God will provide for people always 
in life-threatening predicament. And the main purpose of the book, as I see it, is to show us that God is always at work. Always. Even in heartbreaking circumstances. He is not a God who is aloof, uh, disinterested with what is happening in the world and in people's lives. He's not hands-off in relation to what happens in day-to-day life. In fact, the book tells us that he is working in ways that so many people don't acknowledge or recognise, but the reality is that God is working. And there's something that I'd like you to remember in all of this, that God is not only working, but God himself, in the person of his Son, has actually come into humanity to experience the very things that people today and people back in the time of Ruth experienced. The Lord, even probably before, he knew it was happening, was a fugitive refugee as they were on the run from Herod as he would seek to murder the children in Bethlehem and the surrounding region. He knows what it's like to be a refugee. The book shows us that God keeps all his promises and he's faithful in that and he's working for the ultimate good of those who will trust him, absolutely trust him for his promises, for this life and the life that is to come and beyond. And we can have confidence in God that he knows because he himself, in the person of Jesus Christ, has suffered the very things that humanity suffer. Paul, when he was preaching in Athens, the great early preacher of Christianity, part of his sermon that he shared with religious people and philosophers of the day, the intelligentsia and the the, the academics, He spoke in a sermon and he said, God's made from one man every nation of mankind to live in all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. I'll just stop there. That tells us something, that our being alive in this very moment is because God has determined it to be so. So the very circumstances of our lives that we might be considering and wanting to have encouragement from God's word as we consider the book of Ruth and see the challenge for the people in their circumstances. It's determined by God that we be alive at this moment. And he's also determined that we be alive in the place where we are. And Paul says that God has done that, that he's sovereign over it all. But there's a purpose for it. He goes on to say that they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. God is near. And we're alive today in the place where we are because God has put us here. And God's desire is that we might seek him and find him. And he's not far from any one of us. Keep that as a reminder as we consider what happens here in the book of Ruth. Just very quickly, as we consider the book together, we're going to look at those three main characters, Naomi today, Ruth and Boaz in the subsequent weeks. We'll be reminded that the human predicament is self-made and self-perpetuating it's the root of the failure to obey the things that God has said we should do to enjoy the blessings that he has for people it results in the loss and brokenness that we have in our world in the pain and suffering that we and others like us experience every day we'll be reminded secondly that our personal choices and decisions that we would make they don't only impact us but they have an impact on the people around us We're in a relationship where the things that you do impact the people around you and might even impact me and the things that I do 
and the choices and decisions that I make to do something impact other people. We're not standing alone. Together, we're in this situation. And thirdly, that God is faithful to honour his promises. That he will bring eternal security and eternal peace to those who trust him for who he is. Let's read Ruth chapter 1 together, please. We've only three weeks on this, and the four-chapter book makes it a challenge. So uh, we're going to read chapter 1 and a few verses from a couple of other uh, places, and then just say something about Naomi in particular today. And you'll be introduced to her as we, as we read this together. I'm reading from the New American Standard. Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi. The names of his two sons were Machlon and Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem and Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They took for themselves Moabite women as wives, the name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other was Ruth. And they lived there about ten years. Then both Maplon and Kilion also died. And the woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the land of Moab. For she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. So she departed from the place where she was. And her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. And she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, but we will surely return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return, my daughters. Why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Return, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I said I have hope, if I should even have a husband tonight and also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is harder for me than for you. For the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. They lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth clung to her. Then she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me and worse, if anything but death parts me and you. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. So they both went until they came to Bethlehem. And when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned and with Ruth, the Moabites, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the har barley harvest. 
Now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Please go to chapter 3. Then Naomi said, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, that's to Ruth, My daughter, shall I, seek, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now, is not Boaz our kinsman, with whose maids you were? Behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. Wash yourself therefore and anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes and go to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. It shall be when he lies down, that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what you shall do. She said to her, all that you say, I will do. And then into chapter 4 and verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today and may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child laid him in her lap and became his nurse. The neighbour women gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi, so they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. What a scene-setter for what is to follow. The great king of Israel, David, is the product of what we're going to consider briefly over the next uh, three weeks. I must just fill you in a little bit beyond uh, what happens in chapter 1 and that opening bit of chapter 2. Ruth goes into the fields to glean. It was a provision by God uh, for those who were destitute and had nothing. They were to go into the fields and as the people were harvesting their fields, the workers in the fields would, if grain was to fall at the edges of the field, they were to leave it so the poor people could come in and pick up the little scraps that remained so they would just about have enough uh, to live on. When she's in the field doing this, Boaz, the rich, wealthy, well-regarded landowner who's related to Elimelech, Naomi's um, husband who had died. We read that in chapter 1. He comes and he spots Ruth in the field and asks who she is. And he's heard about her. Ruth then, it seems, spends most of the harvest period in a place of blessing because Boaz says to her, don't just lean. You can be in amongst the sheaves where my workers are doing their thing. You come in and gather. And as a result of that, she's able to take more than a normal person would have taken just around the edges of the field. But we'll come to that in, in time. In all of this, Naomi realizes that Boaz, in that society in that day, that because he is a relative of her deceased husband, Elimelech, that he is a man who can help them in their predicament. He's called um, a kinsman in my version of the Bible or the word goel in the Hebrew means a guardian redeemer. Somebody who has responsibility for a family line to preserve them. And on the basis of what God had said in the law, there were a couple of things that were important here that Naomi knew that Boaz could provide. One was the law of leverage marriage. God had said that if a man is married to a woman 
and the man dies and they have no children, then a brother of the man is to take that woman, widow, as his wife, to raise up an heir for the brother who has died. Now that does take us into challenging territory about polygamy and so on, but we're not going there. But it was God's provision, this is important, it was God's provision that the name of someone would be preserved. Because a name was associated with an inheritance, and for God that was vitally important. The second law that uh, Naomi knew in her mind, not just that Boaz could be the one to raise up an heir, but that also he was of wealthy means, and he could be the one to redeem the land. Now either Elimelech had sold his land before he'd gone, and as she comes back, the Lord said that the people who had sold their land were to receive it back, but she didn't have the means. So uh, it, was it the case that she was appealing to Boaz, come and as a member of the family, extended family, buy this land back. Or maybe as the sole survivor, she came back to their inheritance and it was hers, but because she has nothing and nobody to work it, she needs somebody to come and to pay for it. And this is the law of redemption that the Lord again had provided in Leviticus 25, that it was to remain in the family because God had brought his people into the promised land, the land of promise. And they apportioned it out amongst the tribes. And within that then was the place for the families within that to have their inheritance. That which God had provided for them. Things they hadn't worked for, God had said. I'm bringing you into the blessing of it and it will be yours. And the land is not to be sold, God said in the law. But if your means are such that you need help, then call on a redeemer. Who will pay the value of the land to you. But you will still enjoy the proceeds of it until the year of Jubilee. And then you'll have it back again. There's a lot in this that we don't have time to dwell in. But go and look at the law of lever at marriage in Deuteronomy 25. And the law of redemption in Leviticus 25. The two things are important because God is, is really concerned about the name of people. That the name of someone continues. And not only that, that it's associated with an inheritance. Same thing today. That God loves us individually. And as people in his people, he has given us an inheritance that he wants us to be part of and to enjoy and to work. That's important to remember that as we carry on. Now, in all of this, Boaz knows that there's actually someone who's more closely related to Elimelech than he is. So he has to offer to this closer guardian redeemer the option first to redeem the land and to help Naomi out. But in the process, he's going to have to take Ruth and raise up an heir for Naomi. And that man considers that a jeopardy to his own um, family line. So he declines the offer. Boaz steps in. And as we read in chapter um, 4, he marries Ruth. The son is born. The land is held, in a sense, by Boaz in trust on behalf of Naomi as they're waiting for an heir to be born. Wonderful. And then the heir is born, Obed. The name means service or worship. Wonderful. The outflow of negative experience, as we might view it, is worship. Because God has been seen to be over it all. That's a summary of where we're at with this. And you know that then the end of it is that to Obed was born Jesse, and to Jesse was born David, the great king of Israel. And not only to him, God, God had said to David, the fruit your descendants are going to sit on the throne forever. And that greatest descendant who will sit on the throne forever is Christ. 
follow the genealogy there in Matthew chapter 1 and you have it. You have Ruth there mentioned. And Boaz, Obed, Jesse, David, all the way through to the Lord Jesus himself. God is over it all. That's a very quick summary, but we need it before we just land on a few points about Naomi that I'm encouraged by and I I hope you are too. What do we learn about her? (coughs) And (coughs) what can we learn from her? Firstly, I am persuaded that she's a woman who maintains her belief in the goodness of God in a time of national and personal moral decline and personal suffering. Doesn't sound too dissimilar to our experience today. The book begins by saying in the time when the judges ruled, this was before there was any king. And the end of the book of Judges, we have it repeated And even in the last verse of the book of Judges, just before Ruth, it says that people were doing whatever was right in their own eyes. There was no king in Israel in those days. The Judges is uh, really a difficult read to see the people of Israel in the promised land, uh, sometimes on the heights, spiritually obeying the law of God, but then very quickly in decline. God raising up a judge to rescue them from the oppression and the insecurity, the the hardship, the suffering that came because the people did not do what God said. It's a period of gradual and gradual and gradual decline. Some horrific things are reported in the book of Judges. What's happening here is probably around 1300 BC. Probably 50 to 70 years into that period. So even at the beginning, we have this decline that's there. And this woman, she believes and trusts in the goodness of God. In that setting, even when they moved to Moab, Because it seems that when the moment comes, she says, I can't stay here. I have to go back. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The family, as we're introduced to them, are Ephrathites from Bethlehem. Bethlehem, the name of it, means the house of bread. Isn't it ironic? That they leave the place that is renowned for its provision and blessing, called the house of bread, that they might go to Moab because there's a famine in the land. Why was the famine there? God had said in the law, in Deuteronomy 28, you can read this. He said to the people before they went in to take the promised land, he said, if you do not obey the commandments that I've given, all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. The heaven which is over your head shall be bronze and the earth which is under you will be like iron. You shall bring out much seed to the field, but you will gather little. So that decline, spiritually and morally, away from God's things, had resulted in the situation that Bethlehem, the house of bread, had become a place where there was famine. There's an obvious lesson in that. Let's avoid that decline away from God in the place of blessing, so then we would even countenance moving away. There's a personal responsibility in this. God has brought us to the place of blessing. Where did they go? They went to Moab. Bethlehem sits on the heights. It's actually uh, a higher elevation from what I understand than Jerusalem is. The journey is, as the crow flies, about 50 miles. If you know your geography of uh, Israel at all, uh, Bethlehem sits on the west side of the Dead Sea. Moab sits um, to the southeast on the other side of the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea sits 400 um, metres below sea level. So to go from the heights of the house of bread in Bethlehem, 
This family, Elimelech and Naomi and their two sons, Mahlon and Kilion, they take this journey down into the depths of our root. There's no way you can do that other than going down to the deepest and darkest of places, if we can say it. And then they would rise up the other side to Moab. It was known as a fertile area. But what makes me scratch my head is why. They didn't go to the fertile area to the north, which was still the part where the people of God were in Gilead. A similar journey to a place most likely where there was similar blessing as was being known in Moab. But Elimelech, it would seem, made the choice and as the head of the family, he would have determined they go to Moab. Some journey to get there. Moab has a very negative connotation in God's word. Moab was the son of Lot through his daughter. An incestuous situation produces Moab. We're told that the people of Moab, they worshipped the god Chemosh, a pagan god known as the destroyer. So here's a family going to the place where they know they worship one who is a figment of imagination, but he's a destroyer. And not only that, we're told even in 2 Kings 3.27 that they considered that this God required human sacrifice and burnt offering to be satisfied. And we're told that the king of Moab took his oldest son and heir and pinned him to a wall and sacrificed him as a burnt offering to Chemosh. Of course he's a destroyer, if that's what you'll do. Not only that, Moab, they were known to be part of the people who had enticed the nation of Israel who were in the wilderness before they went into the promised land. They were, uh, they were in the region of Shittim or Peor. And it, it says that the, they played the harlots. They, they got into wrong relationships with the people of Moab. And not only that, they were bringing the women into the, into the camp of the Israelites Sexual immorality associated with pagan sacrifice. They were involved in that. And as a consequence, 24,000 people of Israel died because of their interaction with the people of Moab. Numbers 25 tells us about that. Are you getting the picture? Here you have a family who've been brought into an inheritance by God. Yes, times have got difficult because the nation has moved away from God. But rather than staying put and trusting God to provide, which he said he would for those who would trust him and honour him, they decide they'll go away. But rather than going somewhere else in the country, they decide to go to a place that God says you won't even touch it. It's a place where the destroyer is worshipped. It's a place where those people have led my people into sin before. You're not to go there. God had also said in his law that you'll not allow any Moabites into the people of Israel, Deuteronomy 23 and 3. They're not to be part of the community of, of Israel, even to the 10th generation. And then your mind's going, well, what, what about Ruth? We'll get there next week. What happens? Just very quickly, we've read it in chapter 1. They go there, and I think, as I've said already, with Elimelech as the head of the household, making the decision, we're going to die if we stay here. Let's go to Moab. They go, and it seems that within short order, Elimelech loses his life. Was that judgment from God? doesn't tell us. I would suggest maybe it is. So Naomi is left with her two sons and they take wives of Moabite women. Prohibited. They do it. And it says they live for about 10 years and then the two sons die. 
You notice something in it? They had no children. For 10 years, maybe, they were married. They had no children. It's interesting because it tells us then in chapter 4 that the Lord caused Ruth to conceive in her union with Boaz later. It was God withholding children from them because they were doing something they shouldn't have been doing. Maybe. But they lost their lives. Was it because of their um, disregard of God's law as well? And they've just become part of Moabite community? Ten years is a long time to go and to sojourn somewhere for a period when there's famine. It wasn't a short visit. They were there for a long time. In all of this, I'm suggesting to you that Naomi knows the goodness of God. And she trusts God to be the one who will be for her in all things. And you might be thinking, how are you saying that? I think so, because when she hears that God has visited his people, the action of God, she is quick to say, we're going back there. And her daughter-in-law want to go with her. Why would they want to go with her rather than stay in Moab, which is their home? Because they see something in this woman which is unique. And Ruth in particular will pursue it because they see in this noble woman, a woman who, despite the circumstances, and absolutely destitute now because she's lost her husband and her heirs. Nobody left. Nothing. They follow and Ruth follows because this woman has a trust that God will do what is right. Secondly, I think that we see that uh, Naomi understands absolutely something of who God is. Can't say that we know everything about God. And she knows that he is sovereign over all things and controls all things. But importantly, she knows that people are responsible to take action and positive action to enjoy the promised blessings of God. Now that's important. Because sometimes we can be guilty of just sitting back and saying, well God's over it all. What will happen will happen. That's fatalist. We're not to be like that. God has said there's a way to live. And as believers, there's a way to live. God is sovereign over our lives, of course. But if God has said this is how you will live, and the outcome of living this way will be this, then we do that which God has said. So she knows that God is sovereign. She knows it. But she knows that she must and others must take action to enjoy his promised blessings. So Naomi hears that God has visited his people and given them bread. Now it's the bread. And she can't wait to get back, I think. So they head back to Bethlehem from Moab. Destitute. Vulnerable. Refugees. They've been that for ten years. It's almost as if they're coming back home and they're still refugees. They've nothing. Just as a little study for yourselves, return, that little word that's in our English Bibles, return, is an important word in chapter 1. Out of the 19 occurrences of the Hebrew word that's translated return, that are in the whole of the book 15 times, it appears in chapter 1. Chapter 1 is all about returning. It's about returning to God, realising in Naomi's situation that she has moved away from the place where God wants her and her family to be, moving away spiritually from trusting in God. Maybe that was the fault of her husband and her sons, but she most likely had a part in it. But yet, she realises she must come back. She must return. The basic meaning of the Hebrew word for return 
is the restoring of a relationship. Lovely. That demands a repentance on the part of the one who knows that they've moved. There's a lesson for us. I wonder if some of us are in a place, if I can put it that way, where we've moved and we know we've moved. And we're thinking, where do we go from here? Do you know where you go from here? You return to the Lord. You return from wherever places that you've gone. Maybe it's even a place like Moab. Where you're with people who are engaged in things which are detestable to God. Doing things that we should not be touching. Engaging with people in conversations that we should not even go near. Maybe some of us have even gone there. Naomi knew that God was sovereign. But that she had to take action. And if the appeal comes and you hear that there's blessing among the people of God, they'll come running back, come running back to God. So this story is not just about a geographical return from a place they should never have gone to, but it's about a spiritual return. And did you notice that you wouldn't have unless I pointed out beforehand? It says that Naomi returned to Bethlehem with her daughter-in-law who returned from Moab. Ruth had never been to Bethlehem. So how she returned, that I'm saying to you is the example of the spiritual return. Because here's a woman who has grown up in a pagan society and she makes that glorious statement which we'll say something of in a moment. She says, I'm going with you because I want your God to be my God. There's a spiritual return from a place that she was by nature. On her return, um, Naomi says, and reveals how much she knows God. She refers to him as the Lord. Uh, the Lord, the covenant God of Israel, but also as the Almighty. That was the name that the patriarchs before Moses would have referred to God. She knew him as the sovereign one. The Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty-handed, is the sense of the word. The Lord has witnessed against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me. She knows the sovereign God over all things. And thirdly, she knows that God has promised to honour and provide for those who trust him because she knows his promises through the word of God. She knows that God will provide for the destitute through gleaning. So she sends Ruth out to glean. She knows about the law of redemption. She knows about the law of leave her at marriage. She trusts in the word of God to provide for her even in a destitute situation. She knows that God will be faithful to his word. Three things that we can learn about her. What's the challenge? Just in closing for us. Firstly, I think like Naomi, we have to say and acknowledge our self-made poverty and inability and insufficiency. As sinners, that's what we are by nature. In a place of poverty, if you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich yet for your sakes, Kemper, so that you through his poverty might become rich that's where God has brought us to by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ he brings us into the richness how? through faith not by attempting to achieve anything ourselves because the problem is self made we are sinners by nature and by practice unable and insufficient to bring about a change ourselves God is sovereign and when he offers us the salvation that is in Christ Jesus, we come returning. We come returning spiritually to him. 
The Lord said in Matthew 16, verse 26, What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? For what can a man give in exchange for his soul? So it doesn't matter whether we've nothing in this life or we have everything. If our focus is on having nothing or having everything, and God is not in it, then we forfeit our soul. John said in 1 John 4 and 14, We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Saviour of the world. This problem that is of our own making, our sinful rebellion against God, which has taken us away from him. The return is only possible through the one that God has provided, the Lord Jesus. And where was he born? Bethlehem, the house of bread, the place of blessing. My second lesson, I think, from this, certainly for me, and I hope for you, is to return to the Lord. Whoever you are, wherever you are, do it now. Naomi heard. The Lord has provided. What did she do? I'm going back to Judah. And it's on the journey, it seems, she suddenly realises her daughters-in-law are traipsing along with her. So she tries to persuade them, I've nothing to give you. So stay here with your own people and your own gods. Orpah, saddened by it, goes back. But Ruth clings to her and goes on. Because she knows something of God through the testimony of this woman that she's known maybe for 10 years. Return to the Lord. As sinners, we're all far from God. But we're brought near through the sacrifice of Christ, through faith. But then as believers, we can be far from God too. And in a place where God does not want us to be. Far from enjoying the the delights of the inheritance that he has for us. Jesus came preaching, Mark 1 verse 15. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Kingdom inheritance. Repent and believe in the gospel. It's the means for stepping into the glorious inheritance. And Jesus promises in John 6 and 37. The one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. And that applies to unbelievers and believers too. If we've gone to a place, we come back on our knees. Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. The Lord has dealt bitterly with me. and My life is nothing without God. Come back to him through the Lord Jesus Christ. And God calls believers to be gathered into this glorious inheritance which is forever and it's guaranteed for all believers. But there's an expression of it today, physically here on earth, the kingdom of God expressed among churches of God. It's the place of God's rest and blessing. Don't go from it. Don't move away. Whatever spiritually may be thinking or physically may be a challenge, do not go away. It's not where God wants you to be. Paul said to the elders of the church of God in Ephesus in Acts chapter 20 and verse 32, he said, Now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. That's important. Naomi trusted the promises of God. Paul says the same thing. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and what? Give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. If you come to the word of God and you're straying and you're even considering or have considered and have gone from the place of God's inheritance, then look to the word of God and see the place where he wants you to be and come back, return to the Lord. And finally, lesson from Naomi is be an obvious example of trusting faith in God in every situation and circumstance of life. As a believer, whatever may come, God is over it all. Let's honour him in the circumstances of sadness and suffering that might come or the, or the times of plenty and the times that 
we enjoy. Let's always be giving honour to God in all things. Because in that testimony, maybe there will be someone that we're close to. Or maybe even someone a little further away who, like Ruth, will come and clink and say, your people shall be my people and your God shall be my God. Here's a noble Naomi living her life in dire circumstances and the outcome is that Ruth will travel with her and through her will come the blessing of a son, the one who would be great, 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 great grandfather of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 5, the Lord says, to believers, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and what? And glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's the purpose for which we're here and we're living. And the time appointed to us in the place where we are. In 1 Peter 2, verse 12, Peter says, Keep your behavior excellent because of your good deeds. As people observe them, they will glorify God in the day of visitation. Our lives are to speak of him and his glory in all things, whatever circumstances. We'll move on to Ruth next week. Let's pray. Our God, help us to be like Naomi, please. To see you over all things, but to see the responsibility you've given to us to live according to the way you have said we should. To enjoy all of the blessings that you have for us in Christ Jesus. And in the inheritance that you give to us. Help us please if we've moved. To a place where we should not be. To return. And to come back in humility. To the Lord Jesus. And to rest. In the salvation that is in him. But also the forgiveness that comes to. Please. And turn our lives around. So there may be blessing out of negative experience. There may be that service of worship. The outflow, just like there was in the situation with the birth of Obed, the service of worship. Please, our God, may that be the experience and help us also to live lives that point always to the glory of who you are. So that some may cling to us and want to say that they want to know you as their God. Our God, help us in all these things we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.